0: People are yearning for information, having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to
1: be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for
0: everyone. Phyllis Smulen has been living with and training dogs for almost 40 years. She got started training dogs when she was in grade school and would take the neighborhood dogs for pack walks in the woods. She started officially training dogs for obedience and protection training when she was 17 years old. She rescued her first dog around the same time. In the late 80s, Phyllis answered a want ad in the newspaper that said, Hard work, low pay, aggressive dogs, demanding boss. Phyllis applied and got the job training pet dogs with serious behavioral issues. She opened her own dog training business, Canine Counselor Inc., in 1990. Phyllis has utilized a pack of at least nine dogs to help rehabilitate and train her client dogs. Phyllis is now downsizing her pet dog training business to teach other dog trainers and dog professionals about dog behavior and understanding temperament, which is key to helping dog guardians and dog trainers communicate and live with dogs in harmony. Phyllis, welcome to HealthGig. Yes, welcome, Phyllis. Thank you for having me. It's really (laughs) fun having you. So we wanted to start just by hearing a little bit about you and how you got into dog training.
2: So I actually started when I was really young. I used to go about the neighborhood and take all the neighborhood dogs out and sometimes packs of dogs and teach them all kinds of tricks and fun things and go out on adventures.
1: So what'd you do? Walk around the neighborhood and knock on the doors and say, can I, can I walk your dog? That would actually be a dream come true if that happened here.
2: <laughs> I actually did. Things were a little bit different. People actually would just kind of open their doors and let their dogs out. Dogs just kind of wandered about the neighborhood. So sometimes I would put leashes on them or you know, a belt would work great. And <laughs> I would just take them out on adventure walks and I would teach them all these tricks and everything and bring them back home and show the people, oh, look, your dog is sitting up and begging or whatever. It was just kind of what I did.
1: So were you kind of born a dog whisperer? <laughs> oh, <yeah.
2: laughs> it sounds like it was an early thing. I think we're all born with just some gift and it's a matter of finding it. And, and you found it so early. You were lucky. I did, I found <laughs> it really early and then I started training dogs professionally before I graduated from high school. Got involved in obedience training and protection training and a whole battery of things. I had an injury early on. I've never had another one from a dog ever since. But then I started What kind out of injury? I actually had a pretty bad bite my first year of my career, misguided by the person I was training under. I decided I was going to look further, and I answered a pretty interesting ad (laughs) in the Washington Post in the late 80s that said, hard work,
0: work, low pay,
2: pay, aggressive dogs, demanding boss, acquire within, and (laughs) I got the job, and I worked (laughs) there for a few years.
0: (laughs) Was it all those things?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it was all those things. I learned how to work with dogs that were very aggressive, dogs that were afraid. You know, the low pay. <laughs> right. <laughs> and wanting to get out on my own. The guy I worked for actually with his blessing, he helped me start my own business. We're still friends now. We still talk and visit each other. Like took in a pack of dogs. I took in yeah. a pack of pretty aggressive you know, unstable, fearful dogs. And at that first pack I had was about 13 dogs. They taught me a lot. I think they taught me more than any humans ever taught me learning and watching them.
0: So these were dogs that belonged to other people or there were your Um, dogs? Rescue
2: dogs, dogs that were ending up in shelters or uh, people who were giving them up. My initial thought was to help them. Mm. and inevitably they ended up helping me because I learned from watching a pack of dogs which is a very natural kind of setting they're pack animals and then helping them find a balance where everybody got along and we didn't have issues once that pack got balanced out those dogs started helping new dogs that were coming in
1: you did that with Arnie
2: (laughs) I did he kind of went in
1: with the pack right right and they They all they
2: all do you know my dogs will tell me exactly what a dog is all about so Now, fast forward, having dogs here in my home with my stable pack of dogs, I will bring a dog right in and they will tell me right away what that dog is made of. Is it afraid? Is it trying to take over? Most dogs are insecure, you know? So if a young puppy that's kind of phonetic and jumping around and overexcited and tinkling on the floor, it'll come in and my dogs will stop that behavior immediately. And it's not physical. It's just eye contact and looking at them like, hey, you can't just come in this territory and be all over the place. For the dog, I help dogs find balance because humans encourage excitement and try to wear the dog out. So they end up energizing behaviors. Dogs, they stop that right away because really what they're looking for is a calm coexistence. They don't want to live in anxiety or things that are hectic.
1: And that's something, yeah, that you've kind of taught both of us so well. Like, how to be with our dogs in a harmonious type of living. (laughs) And Phyllis always says, when I'll call her with problems, she'll always say, okay, you and I need to meet. (laughs)
0: Because it's not That's a huge part of your
1: training, right? Because I remember
0: you training us and our kids. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it
2: is. It's kind of helping, first of all, helping you understand why your dog's behaving a certain way. Why do they do the things that they do? And inevitably, they think we want them to take over. And so they try to control situations. And just like my dogs and my pack will stop a dog from jumping up, running around, being all kinds of excited. And the opposite, we have a human that comes in to visit us and they're like, oh my God, oh my God, how's the dog? What's going on? And then they're giving all this affection to a dog that's actually trying to stop them and they think the dog is happy. So the dog is jumping on you or running circles around you and worse yet, kind of nipping at your hands or something like that. They're really trying to say, hey, stop with the high-pitched squeaky voice. You're getting me all worked (laughs) up. So instead, it's really about training humans to say, hey, if you want your dog to be calm, then you have to be calm because they're going to follow us, but they're not going to follow us if we're frustrated, if we're stressed, if we're embarrassed about their behavior. I joke with people all the time. I go, hey, have you ever seen a dog pet another dog? And everyone laughs and so well, no, but they jump all over each other, and then they start barking at each other, and sometimes they all of a sudden disagree, and we don't know what went wrong on the leash walk, and they started being reactive, and it's really because they're trying to calm everything down, and the humans are going, yay, let's
0: go. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Um, right makes right. sense.
2: So it's to some degree, impolite behavior.
0: Can we start with just the overall question of what do you think dogs need to live their best lives with humans? I think the
2: first thing is helping the dog by being good leaders. And by being a good leader, that does not mean punishment and discipline. It just means that we guide the dog into good behavior. If we're, for instance, wanting to go on a walk, if we're calm before we leave, the dog will be calmer on the walk and will be more likely to follow us. We also put a lot of responsibility on dogs without realizing it. You know, the dog that runs around the house and barks out the window and gets all wild when somebody comes in the house, they're really trying to kind of protect the house. And we don't go running around peeking out of windows and yelling at neighbors, but our dogs do that and we go, oh, he's excited, he's happy, he has the window. It's like doggy television. They watch everybody go by. In essence, it's just putting a lot of pressure on the dog. Being good leaders watch out for our dogs, guide them into good behavior so they understand what it is we want. And if we're frustrated or we're stressed or we're anxious or we don't know what to do, then the dog looks at us and goes, Well, I can't follow that because you're not being a good, calm leader. This is what we expect from maybe a boss, an employer. If they don't give us good directions, we're lost. And we say, Well, gee, now we're really upset with our boss because the boss doesn't tell us kind of what is expectus and then yells at us later saying, why didn't you do that correctly? Well, the dog's kind of in the same position saying, what is it you want? Because if you allow me to lead and make decisions, I'm probably going to make the wrong ones because most dogs are not assertive. They are being assertive in behavior because we're not helping them.
1: That's something that I know that Dora and I've talked a lot about recently, too, with Arnie, because you've taught me that Arnie doesn't really want to be the leader. And if I don't act like a leader, again, he's ill-equipped to be a leader. (laughs) He just wants to be in the middle of the pack. But when I don't stand up and show him I'm in charge, just my body language he begins to think he can take over. Right. And then that's when we have all kinds of problems, which is unusual for the type of dog Arnie is because he's black lab. Right. And they're supposed to be friendly and all that. But on the leash, he barks.
2: Well, I mean, a lot of times dogs are barking and reactive because we're tense. We are embarrassed that our dog might bark at his neighbor. We tense up and we kind of pull away at the dog and try to you know, and sometimes worse, we're verbal. So if we're yelling, we're kind of yelling right with the dog.
1: Right. right instead right.
2: of just creating space. And what that means is just, you know, if you're walking towards somebody, you can move aside, but keep moving. If so we stop and we I'm using this word carefully, force the dog to sit there. Right. The dog is becoming a target to whatever it is reacting to, which it may be afraid of. Or they think we want them to take over the territory our tension is actually creating a reaction from the dog. Yes. I've made tests to show people things, right? If we put a dog on a long leash, most of them, 99.9% of them, will move away from things that they react to when they're on a leash with their owners.
1: Well, I said to Phyllis the other day, I said, well, Phyllis, you know, we want Arnie to be able to go over and say hello. She said, well, how many strangers do you want to go over and say hello? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's true. They don't want to do
2: that. I mean, if they know each other, you know, there's, of course, neighborhood dogs walk together. You have family gatherings and the dogs come over and everybody knows each other. But somebody you've never met in the neighborhood and worse yet, your dog is barking and you're going to let them go up there. They're already disagreeing with what's going on. And we're saying, you know,
1: yay, yay. yeah, yeah, my dog I really w- needs squeaky. to say hello to you. It's <laughs>
2: and then those people might be saying, well, OK, but, but you know, what I found from my clients is they're like, well, I'm really uncomfortable when the neighbor tries to come up. Right. So maybe they're having trouble with their dog and they're just trying to go on a walk. And it's the same thing. In a lot of European countries, for instance, dogs are everywhere, but people are not reaching out and going, hey, can I pet your dog?
0: That's um, true. They just roam Um, around. Everyone leaves him alone.
2: That's right. And so here, we also try to make each other happy. You know, Maybe, maybe the neighbor will be upset if I don't say hello to their dog. You know, and that's not really what the dog
0: wants. I know how important it is, especially for big dogs like Arnie and Rocky when you trained him to learn these kinds of manners and things. What about little dogs who wouldn't hurt somebody if they jumped? I mean, remember, I was always so worried about Rocky jumping on my mother and knocking her down. I was so worried because she was so frail. I thought, oh, Rocky's twice her size when he stands up. But what about little dogs? Do all the rules apply for little dogs as well as big dogs? I mean, I'm sure. Absolutely,
2: because their mindset is the same. We do things with little dogs that we wouldn't do with a big dog. We pick them up. Right, You know, picking up a dog for them does a couple of things. One, it puts them in a higher position, equal to you, they're up here. Most dogs are a little insecure. So if we lift them up and we say, we want you to be in this high position, that can cause them to become scared. In the wild, why do they get picked up? It's usually because there's danger. So the other message we're sending when we pick up a little dog is, oh, whatever this is, yeah, you have a right to be afraid of it. So we're sending the wrong signal to the dog. And then worse yet, what are we doing? We're nurturing insecure state of mind. So we're agreeing with the dog being afraid or maybe vocal. And we say, well, you know, we'd like a little dog to be a lap dog. It doesn't mean that the dog can't sit with you. It doesn't mean that. What it means is we don't want to feed into any negativity regardless of the size of dog. So if a little dog, sometimes we see people pick them up, and then you go reach out to pet the dog, and the dog growls and snaps at you. And people say, oh, you know, that's that little chihuahua that wants to snap at you. Now what's the message that we're sending? We're scared. You're scared. Now what you're afraid of is reaching for you. And the human is not protecting the dog, really. So the dog now doesn't trust the human. It becomes more what I call possessive versus protective. If you come near me, I'm going to jump all over you. Worse yet, you have a dog that starts nipping or growling at somebody. And hey, look, a little dog can bite you, and a puncture wound can cause blood poisoning, and that can be dangerous. So even a little bite can be bad. Yeah.
0: My mom's dogs used to bite because mom and dad were so much older when they had the little dogs. They were incapable of doing the training that they needed because they were biting all the time. (laughs) Yeah, and I think
2: sometimes this kind of goes off into another rabbit hole, as I call it, but we choose the wrong dog for what we are looking for in a partnership with our pets. The human side of us wants to nurture something. If we pick a dog that is insecure or tiny, we may nurture insecurity in the dog and then we don't have a lap dog. We have a fearful dog, and then it becomes possessive of us, and then they become aggressive and reactive. You know, we have this saying, all fours on the floor all the time. Anytime those feet are not on the floor, the dog is not necessarily in a happy state. Or let's not say not necessarily, it's not, because it's disagreeing with stuff. So if we have a lap dog, which is maybe 5% of the canine population, those dogs have calm, relaxed temperaments. They are unafraid of anything. They are happy to be with people. They're not nervous. And so those dogs can join us and sit with us on the couch and won't have a problem and won't be the dog that gets reactive. So I think it's not necessarily that the human does the wrong thing in that case. I think it's a mismatch of temperament and what we're looking for in a dog. I mean, we could have a big lab that just wants to sit with us all day long and just as calm as can be. And then you have another lab that's you know from the hunting that's lines, true. and it's raring to go all day. And you have to find a balance there where the dog understands to be having a great time out on the field, but then it comes in and has to relax in the house.
1: So, what do you think dogs need to live their best lives with humans? I think the
2: most important thing is teaching humans to be good leaders for their dogs. That dogs don't have to be afraid and taking care of all these little things that they think we want from them, giving them great diets giving them good exercise, being calm with them, not always in an excited, phonetic state, which we really don't want to be in either. Join them in things they want to do. So we go out and walk in the woods and so on. Let them sniff, let them be dogs. I started with a lot of obedience and I think that's not necessarily what they need is this rigid, you know, militaristic (laughs) kind of commands, right? But they just need a nice, happy following versus what we want to give them tons right. and tons of affection, elevating on the furniture, barking out the windows, putting Coming them out. on the leash and just letting them run around kind of wild.
1: I remember an emergency call to you was when Arnie, I don't even know how old he was, a couple years old, though, too old, had decided to like climb up on the kitchen table and sit in charge like ahead of us all. And it was like an emergency call.
0: To <laughs> I think yeah. I remember
1: that. Remember that? And he was, this, <laughs> he was too big. He wasn't like a puppy. And it was like he was like saying this, Phyllis, you said he was saying <laughs> to us like, I'm in charge. You guys aren't. And I don't know what to do. (laughs) He had to go be with you for a couple of weeks. (laughs) I mean, he went to an elevated
2: state, which is to say, hey, I've got to take over. So if you think elevation, why dogs do that? And then we're giving them that. That so much. Yeah. we're saying, be on the couch all day long. Well, how about they earn being on the couch because they're in a calm state and they're following us? Yeah. If they're on the couch and they're living in chaos, they think that they're in charge because wild animals don't allow lower ranking members to be elevated. Like the worst things like insecurity. And so if we can help them find balance, then we on the end get what we want from them.
0: So Phyllis, what are the biggest challenges you see with your clients? Is it what we've been talking about? Are there other challenges you see? I think the first thing is helping people choose the right temperament for their family. We have a big
2: issue right now with, especially after the pandemic, with puppy mills. We just go online now and we just like pick a cute, fluffy dog on a picture, you know, and I kind of joke with people. I'm like, well, when you met your spouse, did you run off and get married like the first week? No. And so yet we're getting a family member per se, but we're going online and looking at a picture and bringing them home. We're not meeting that energy. We're not meeting those dogs as individuals. I mean, we used to go visit breeders or go to a shelter, go to a rescue and all these types of things. And now it's like, well, you get a rescue dog in a parking lot off a bus and we get dogs from puppy mills and those dogs are not raised properly. And we're kind of feeding the machine by buying those dogs. We're not helping them, saving them. And so a lot of them are not stable. And then we're expecting them to come in and make our lives happy and make our children happy. And in some extreme cases, we expect them to be therapy dogs or service dogs. And they're just not able to do that. So we're putting a lot on the dog. And so I think the biggest challenge is people get dogs that are not a match. And then they expect that training and obedience school is going to fix that. And we can't fix temperament. You know, it's kind of like saying we're going to fix who someone is and make them something that they're not. And so instead, in order to help them, we're helping them find balance by not putting so much pressure on them.
0: People say people can't change. Is that true of dogs? It is to some degree.
2: Yes. I mean, can we teach them things? Yes, of course. And we can teach human things, too. But we're not changing innately who they are deep-rooted. You know, like if we have a puppy that is afraid at eight weeks, that is a fearful dog. We're not going to change that dog by training it. We can help build its confidence. We cannot put so much pressure on it that it has to take care of things like barking out windows, right? We make its life easier. So then it's not so scared and reactive. But if we put it back in that same situation, it's going to revert back and be who it is.
1: We were so lucky. Phyllis helped us on our journey to find Arnie. And I don't know how many places we went to, Phyllis, with Jenna leading the way for us. I remember. Remember, I mean, we went, I don't know how many places. Liz was like, no. mm -mm." And it was so true. Thank gosh she was with us because we would have taken puppy number one. You know what I mean? Because they're
0: all so cute. They're They're so cute.
1: And she really showed us how they were fearful or how they were scared. And then when we finally found the people that Arnie had, you met the breeder. Remember, you talked to the breeder. You looked at the way that they cared for their other dogs. And you're like, this is where we should go. And
2: we're so happy with our Arnie. The breeders that we went to see, you know, different environments, right? Dogs being raised in kennels that weren't in the home. Or the mother dog being very scared oh, and anxious. That? If you yeah. remember the one dog, she had those marks all over her. Yes. Head. And were the breeders happy with us when we said no? No, no.
1: But, no. but It was so, you know, we, we, we had would to walk go... <laughs> away. And then do you remember the one we went to? It was actually at the dog show. You remember? And she wouldn't look at us or talk to us. That's
2: right. But, the you know, dog show. The puppies. With the gentleman that we chose as a breeder, those puppies were calm and they were happy. And if you remember, we went over to his van. Yeah. I don't know. He had like, I don't know, four remember? dogs in there. Yeah. And they were all happy to see us, but they were all very relaxed. They, they weren't really you know, vocal or barking or jumping all over us. And they didn't have marks on their legs. They looked great.
1: I love what you said again, just to repeat. It is a permanent family member. There should be time and consideration put into that. You know, which, yeah. as you said, a lot of times people don't think like that. Well, we're so appreciative.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't, you know, and we don't think about finding that match. We think, oh, if we go get a puppy, how can you go wrong? I mean, how can you go wrong yeah. the golden retriever or a little shizu? Like, how could you go wrong? It's a puppy. And if you raise it right, it'll be great. Well, that's part of it. But the other part of it is making sure that that dog's demeanor is also a match for you.
0: What makes your dog training program successful, Phyllis? And how do you accomplish such good results, which in return, give owners and dogs their happiness and their fulfillment? Yeah. I think in the
2: beginning, it starts out with meeting with the family and meeting with their dog and answering a lot of questions that people have, helping them understand what the whys, you know, why is this happening? Why does the dog behave this way? And then I start helping them understand by them changing some of the things they're doing they're now helping the dog. And I think for people, they really need to have an understanding of what's going on. The second side of that is that I bring dogs into my home and I keep them for no less than a month. It takes 30 days for the neural pathways to change in the brain. So if we keep dogs for less than that period of time, they may just be starting to find balance. And then we put them right back in either chaos or somebody being frustrated because they don't know how to handle things, right? So we have to get the dog balanced first. And a lot of that comes from my pack of dogs. When dogs come in, they help the dog get comfortable and balanced. And I'm part of that pack too, of course. I love that. (laughs) So I'm helping them also. You know, when they come in, once I see them with my dogs, I almost know right away, this dog is going to be here for six weeks or this You know, I've kept dogs for a couple of months when they have significant, significant behavioral issues because they have to find balance. And so really in the beginning, it's all about helping those dogs feel comfortable, feel safe. Safety is huge. And then inevitably that helps me build trust with the dog. And once they trust me, they'll start to follow me. And then we start layering on things that help the human. Like come when you're called, walk nights on a leash, which is really what, People are thinking about when they send their dog into training, I can tell my dog to heal. I can tell my dog to come and it does so, but it's only going to do those things if we also change our interaction. So once the dog finds balance, once the dog has an understanding of what we want as humans from them, then I start working with my clients and I'm helping them first understand the dog from the dog's point of view. And then I start coaching them to be good leaders. And understanding body language and eye contact, that we don't need to be physical. It's not about just pulling them away on the leash or that type of thing. We live better, happier lives because we're also not, as humans, being told by the dog trainer, you must take the dog out and practice 30 minutes of excessive rigid obedience to get your dog listening. That's not going to fix a behavioral problem. We're successful because we're helping the human help the dog.
0: You keep talking about your pack. Can you just describe your pack? Like, who's in the pack? Like yeah. What are who's they? the leader of the pack? <laughs> and what are do you the pack? They do? do they run around the, the house?
2: The humans are the leaders in the pack, right? Like <laughs> giving them good guidance and good structure. But I also was very selective on the dogs that I have here. We have just a mix of all different types of dog. Most of them are just mixed breeds, you know, and we do the little DNA test for fun to figure out who's who. I actually started going backwards here in the beginning of my career. I got very involved in rescuing pit bulls in the 80s. And that time period, things were much different. So I've had several pit bulls that are actually therapy dogs. Right now, I have nine dogs and one pit bull, and the rest are mixed breeds. Mixed breeds
0: or mutts? Do they call them mutts?
2: Came from, yeah, we call them mutts. You know, some of them have come from animal shelters. Uh, Actually, I have a mother and daughter. That came from a hoarding case, you know, years ago, and they're thirteen and fifteen now. And I find dogs that raise a litter of puppies. Yeah. You know, they come and they get spayed and they live here and they are wonderful, wonderful at helping puppies if they are balanced. So really it's about finding dogs that have stable temperaments and putting them together. And you know, there's different levels and different dogs for different reasons. You know, they all help in their own way. Some are more assertive than others. There is a picture of them on my website. And you'll see a lot of the photos. I'll have the front door wide open. and There's nine dogs or maybe 10 or 11 because I have my client dogs in there. And they are standing right behind the threshold and nobody is walking out the door. And I can walk one dog out the door and the rest of them stay behind. Teaching dog boundaries, which is actually a very natural, natural thing for them. Animals in the wild, how do they keep their babies in the den while the mom goes out and hunts all day? If you're the leader, the leader can leave the followers behind, but the follower can't leave the leader behind, i.e. so we don't have anxiety.
1: I always feel like such a terrible leader. <laughs> <laughs> Phyllis comes and like all of a sudden Arnie's like walking really nice, you know what I mean? <laughs> he, he probably does, he sees Phyllis driving <laughs> up yeah. and he's like,
0: he's like, oh, know, my pack. Right? Kind of attention.
1: <laughs>
2: exactly. You know, so that and would I'm be worst like, indecisive, right? I actually had to look at my note here, but that would be the human being indecisive because we're not 100% sure about what we need to do with the dogs. And sometimes being a leader for a dog, I think for people is uncomfortable. They feel like they're being controlled, you know, and control, control all the time. Right.
1: Phyllis, it's so fascinating when you talk about this. Sometimes I feel like a really bad leader because we'll be walking and you've said especially when arnie's with you and with the pack of dogs it's like awesome right he's in his place he's doing his thing but when i've got him and we're out walking i let him kind of go ahead and he feels like he's the leader of the pack and it's very uncomfortable for him right
2: you know before you leave remember you have to be in that happy relaxed state before you walk out the door we do say always behind never in front always in front is in front. charge so right Even crossing through boundaries and thresholds, walking out the front door, whoever's in front is in charge of that walk. And remember, they don't want to be in charge. So they have to work three times as hard to be in control. It's much harder to be a boss than it is to be an employee. Yeah, right. So we're already giving that message. And take your time leaving. There is no rush to get out the door. If you have an hour to walk your dog, but it takes 20 minutes to get everything calm before you go, take that time to do that.
1: Yeah. Versus um, let's hurry up. Oh my God. Yeah, hurry run, up. Run. I've got to be back. Yeah. Dogs have all day. They'll stand there, you know, and going back to my pack,
2: I will watch them with dogs. And sometimes it takes, you know, 15 minutes to get a puppy to calm down, but they're persistent and they remain in that same calm state. Sometimes if we don't get the dog to be calm, we become uncalm. <laughs> so yeah, well, our brain is going too fast and then the dog's trying to keep up with that. So breathe, do your yoga class, then come home, then take the dog for a walk when you're in that calm state. All of that makes such a big difference. And it's not always what we think the dog wants. You know, sometimes we think they want something, but they really are looking for something. Right.
0: Yeah. It's like when you look at your dog, oh, my dog's <laughs> so sad. And like, well, how do you know? You know, I mean, right? we put these sort of notions on what we think our dogs are feeling or doing. But I have a question about if you have more than one dog, there's the whole alpha dog. How does that all work?
2: Alpha dog, dominance and leadership, right? There is calm, consistent leadership But being in a dominant state of mind is not happening all the time, even in a dog that is calm and confident and can be a leader to a pack or a leader to another dog that's in the house. It's really all about finding, if you have multiple dogs in the house, the one that's the calmest and the most relaxed is the one that is the leader, so to speak, or the alpha dog, so to speak. The one that's jumping all around and over-dominating another dog in the house jumping on its back, mouthing it all the time, nipping at it. If it's constant and it's hyper, that's the wrong dog to be the leader. So we might be giving the wrong message. People will often give affection to the dog that's, quote unquote, being picked on when that dog actually needs some leadership and the Mm. other dog is saying, hey, stop doing that. And so they're trying to control that behavior because we're not. So now we have to look at who is alpha, quote unquote, who is the leader? It's us. And so if we're not helping those dogs find balance, they have no choice, but they have to take over, you know, or we have a mixed match in dogs. We have the wrong dogs. We have one dog. We get a second dog. And sometimes I hear people say, oh, we're going to get the second dog for the first dog. Right. No, we're getting a second dog because that's what the human wants. But then that has to be a match also. We have to take that into consideration, right? I find people trying to make it work sometimes when they have dogs that are not compatible. You can't force acceptance.
1: You know, it's so funny. I was sitting here thinking about like the library days when I would read to the kids for the library and I, Rugby and Rosie. And it was, you know, the dog and then the foster dog and all the stories about how the dogs were best friends. But you're right. It's not an automatic <laughs> thing, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, and then it always maybe want to have two dogs or three.
0: But you're right. You have to make sure that they get along too. Absolutely. So when you get a new dog, I assume over the years, your pack, you know, a dog may die. You might get a new dog. When you get a new dog for your pack of nine dogs, do you bring it in and introduce the dog to everybody in there and make sure it's a fit?
2: I have a pretty good idea now when I'm picking dogs and I bring them in. But yes, I do generally just bring them right in. And typically they're adults, not puppies. Right, adults. And sometimes they just end up here. Things happen. People sometimes can't keep a dog for a certain reason, or um, I do transports back and forth sometimes for the dogs in New Mexico because they need a lot of help there. Most of those dogs are living in packs or they're street dogs, and they're around all kinds of things. They're stable because they're natural selection from breeding there. I've brought dogs in, and they know how to manage pack because that's what they do. That gives them a great life of not having to live on the street pair of dogs I was talking about earlier that came from a hoarding case, the uh, mother dog is 100%, just a rock-solid dog, as were her puppies. One ended up being a service dog for a dear friend of mine. The daughter that I kept that's here now, she is just a star with puppies.
1: So Phyllis, how do you know when a dog is worried or scared? And then also, how do we recommend helping that dog? So
2: being scared or afraid or anxious, I think anxious is a big one there. Yeah, anxious. You'll see what I call stress panting. If it's nice and warm outside and it's a hot summer day and the dog's inside in the air conditioner and it's panting, well, that's anxiety. No, the yeah. dog isn't hot. They can be a little hyper phonetic. They're constantly in our personal space as humans look at it, demanding affection when they're really just trying to control us. They can be fearful because they are out on a walk and they're moving away from things or they're afraid of loud noises or they're afraid of, you know, an object on the street. The trash cans aren't out every day. So the day the trash truck comes, it scares a lot of dogs. We sometimes, as humans, do the wrong thing and we nurture that. And we love the dog and pet it and try to console it out of its temperament. Instead of being calm, confident leaders and going, oh, it's the trash can. Come on, let's go. And just keep walking. Don't hesitate. Create a little bit of space if you need to, or pretend you're a dog. Go up and sniff it. Guess what? They'll follow you. They will go, oh, wow, you're investigating that. We take a lot of the verbiage out of those things. Silence is everything with dogs, because dogs are usually only vocal when things are negative.
1: Silly, so she tell us that we talk too much to our dogs, right?
2: We're having conversations like we were having a conversation with a human. And to the dog, it sounds like the peanuts teacher you know, <laughs> and then yeah. they pick up these words in between that they've learned from us. And so they're trying to follow that and they really can't, or worse yet, we did this high pitched squeaky voice, you know, and baby talk and things that cause dogs to get all kinds of worked up. Right. And then we <laughs> think they're excited and they're happy, but really they're trying to say, Hey, kind of knock it off. so Dogs. Most of the time are quiet. They're not vocal unless they're scared, frustrated, territorial, you know, and then when they react, if the human starts to talk, the dog is going, oh, you're barking with me. Okay, great. Let's do this together.
1: Yeah, that does make sense. That was like a new thing for me. Or the other thing that you really taught us too is when someone comes to the door and Arnie wants to be the greeter, we can't do it. Like he needs to sit and be quiet and let us be in charge.
2: You know, this is where it gets tough because sometimes we have humans and and this is for all the humans out there to kind of respect whatever that person is asking them to do when they come in the house and say, please ignore my dog. And people are, wow, that's so cruel." No, because if the humans are getting greeted first, this also plays in when we come home from work and we're like getting all excited with the dog. I mean, and then we don't even say hello to our kids or our spouse. We're like, oh, hey, how's it going? (laughs) And so we're putting them in that position of being in charge, number one. So of course they're going to come up and go, hey, me first, me first, me first. And so we're saying, hey, just ignore the dog. Have a conversation with me. Don't make eye contact with the dog because that's like starting that conversation. It's going to bring the dog over. For the human, keep a leash on the dog and just keep your back turned to the dog, step in front of it. And if it gets away from you, just excuse yourself and back up a little bit. Don't leave the room, just back up. And most importantly, get people to come in and help you. And that's going to make all the difference. And internally, if we're going, oh, this is going to be terrible. My dog's going to jump on this person. I'm so embarrassed. Guess what's going to happen? Because you're,
1: you're, do yeah. you're already
2: there. Think of whatever state of mind you're in. Your dog will mirror that and follow you.
1: And I remember you also taught us early on too, is we should eat before them. So I remember early on, I'm like, Arnie, we're eating, which is number one. We shouldn't be talking to him, right? We are eating now. Notice you know, that we're first. You're but not first. Because we would always feed him first. Like he's hungry, yeah. it would be bark. Because they're asking for, you know, yeah. And you're like, okay, versus I'm going to eat now. And then they know to wait. That was a big one for us. That was one boundary Absolutely. we were able to keep. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, Dora was right there. I heard what you said about, hey, I'm right here. I'll feed me, feed me, feed me, right? So they're telling us what to do and we're compliant. But if they're in that excited state of give me the food, give me the food, they're in charge now. yeah And so now we're not being a good leader by saying, well, when you're nice and calm and relaxed. Then I will put this out. The question always is well, how do you do that? Well, it takes time and it takes patience, but don't give in to that. You know, feeding personal space, thresholds, and doorways always behind, never in front. Being a good leader just means that we're one step ahead of them and that we're guiding them into good behavior, not punishing them for behavior that they're doing because, in <laughs> a way, we've caused some of it, right? Be first and be patient and wait and give yourself that time to get your dog into a calm mindset. And in the beginning, it may take a while. And remember it takes 30 days to change,
0: change the neural pathway. So
2: if the dog is excited for food, for instance, I don't necessarily make the dog sit and stay and wait because now they're sitting and staying, but their brain is not off. So I may prepare the food when the dog is out on a walk with somebody else in the house and leave the food sitting out. So when they come back, I can just set it down. And so exercise and stuff for dogs, exercise should happen before they eat, not after they eat for health reasons alone, right? Think about that. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't go eat a big breakfast and then go out on a run or go to the gym. We would do the opposite, right? Yeah. So now we're going back to the fulfilling the dog. Dog calm, go out on a wonderful walk, exercise, come back, food is already there we can eat and then set the food down. We're first. We're giving them what they need. And we're keeping them in a calm headspace.
0: You know, it takes time. It's not going to happen right away. So if you had to sum up dog training in one word, mm-hmm. would it be leadership? Yes, ma'am. Leadership. That's what it sounds like. Consistency.
2: Yeah. That was a bit word number two.
0: So how do people find you? Because there's going to be a lot of people hearing this (laughs) and saying, I need Mm -hmm. to call Phyllis.
2: (laughs) You can find us at Canine Counselor Inc. online. I have a website.
0: CanineCounselorInc.com. Yes. Perfect.
1: You are the best, best ever dog trainer, dog yes, whisperer, and best friend to not only our dogs, but to Doro and me. We love you so much, Phyllis. Yes, <laughs> oh, we do. You've taught us we so do. much. 100%. Thank you. Thanks for being with us.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you too.
1: Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Tricia.
0: And I'm Doro.
1: Be well.